The opinions and views expressed on Speedway Sounds are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, UC Irvine, or the University of California Board of Regents. Hello, car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. Here to give the command to start today's show is project manager of Anteater Racing, Vaz Frenazian. Drivers, start your engines. This week on Speedway Sounds, Anteater Racing, the UC Irvine School of Engineering Senior Design Project, is racing towards the annual SAE competitions. My guest today will be Vaz Frenazian, and I'll ask him all about the team and how the three cars, Marauder, Jewel, and Phantom, are progressing. After that, this Sunday is the greatest day in racing, featuring crown jewel events for Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR. I'll preview the Monaco Grand Prix, the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500, and the Coca-Cola 600. All three races. All that and more, this week on Speedway Sounds. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Series 6, Episode 7 of Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Noah Stein, and thanks for tuning in. My guest today is the project manager for Anteater Racing. Anteater Racing is an engineering senior design project supported by the University of California, Irvine, and the Henry Samueli School of Engineering. He holds the highest position available to students and supervises the three team leads for the Baja, FSAE, and electric car teams. The Baja Project Car will be competing next week in Portland, Oregon, and the FSAE and electric car teams will compete in June in Lincoln, Nebraska. To bring you up to speed on this massive endeavor, I'd like to welcome Vaz Frenazian. Welcome to Speedway Sounds, Vaz. Hello, thank you for having me today. So, just to give you a little input about myself, my name is Vaz, Vazgen Frenazian, Vaz is for short. I am the project manager of Anteater Racing, and I've been on a team for about four years. I'm actually our most senior member. I joined in my freshman year, so I was the first freshman to ever be allowed on a team. I broke that barrier for allowing younger guys to get on, and girls. We want everybody on a team. We have a very diverse team right now. I'm a fourth year mechanical and aerospace engineering double major, and I'll actually be graduating this June, so someone else will be filling my position come end of the year. That's awesome, that's awesome. So the first question I have for you then is, all students in engineering programs at UCI must spend a certain amount of time in a senior design project. So what initially attracted you to anteater racing? So believe it or not, my first quarter here, I was part of a uh, quadcopter class where I had to design a quadcopter, I think it was Engineering 7A, and I became friends with one of the guys in a car club. He was the president at the time, and come second quarter or winter quarter he introduced me asked me like hey you know we have a race car team here I think you'd be really interested in joining I was like oh really so I went to class one day got my code signed up and it all started from there I've loved racing since I was a kid but I had no idea we had a team until my friend introduced me to the project that's amazing you said you've been a racing fan so what is your previous connection to motorsport so my previous connection to motorsport is mostly it would be Formula One and NASCAR so I used to watch the cars go in circles in NASCAR over and over and over again. My family never understood it just because they're like, oh, why is he, why is he like cars so much? But my dad was a mechanic. A lot of members of my family were mechanics. So I learned how to wrench on cars since a young age. And Formula One was always interesting because the cars are just so fast and they're so pretty looking. So currently I do racing just because I race my own car. I'm a, I guess oh, really? I yeah, I do. I have my own personal car that I modify and race. I compete in the 8.6 Cup. Really? Really? Mm -hmm. That's cool. I'll have to ask you more about that next time. Of course. With Anteater Racing, 
What team did you initially start with? So I started on the FSA team, the internal combustion car. When I first started, the car's name was Savage. Mm -hmm. So it was using the same engine we use now. I helped design the intake system and the exhaust system. I was also the guy that made the throttle body. So one of the issues we had was a weird throttle position on the car. And I found out that I had flipped the butterfly valve three weeks after. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. after fixing that issue, we no longer had um, floating throttle. <laughs> Sometimes it's just the simplest things that can make a lot of difference. Oh, yeah. In each of the different teams, for each of the three cars, there are also sub-teams. What sub-team were you part of? I was a first? part of Powertrain. Nice. So back to the overall picture, what is the main mission of Anteater Racing beyond building three hopefully winning automobiles? So our main mission is to train young engineers, help them get this real-world experience before they go out into the real world. Nowadays, so many companies don't offer training. It's mostly just, you know, we want you to be able to do everything right when you come in. So we want to make sure our students are ready to go right when they step foot in that door. They have all the tools, skills necessary. They've been machining, welding, fabricating, designing, testing. So we want to send them off as complete engineers in order for them to fulfill the goals they want. That's cool. That's cool. Who are some of the students that make up the team? So my, myself as the project manager, we also have three team leads. We have Andres Olmedo. He's the team lead for Baja, the off-road car, Marauder. We have George Bashara, he's the team lead for FSA, Phantom, the internal combustion car. And we have uh, Mark McCorkle, who's the team lead for Jewel, our electric car. Under them, there's a bunch of sub-teams. Some of them would be Mark Washico, Angel Gamboa, they're on Baja, there's Louis Liao. I know most of my students, so it's, it's actually a really big class. We have about 100 people. Um, on Jewel, there's uh, Xavier Dedenbach, he's head of electronics. Arnav Malawade, he's on the uh, telemetry team. For Phantom, we have Matt McMurray, as I said before. He's on the FSA team for brakes. We also have Michael Song. He's on the team for, uh, he's on FSA for suspension. So wide variety of members. I know almost everybody on the team just because I have to know everybody on the team. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Is everybody an engineering student or are there other majors involved? So no, actually, you don't have to be an engineering student. The only thing we require of you is a safety sticker that you get from school. And that's just to show us that you know how to use tools and be safe with them. But the person that got me into the team was actually a psychology major. Wow, that's, that's <laughs> so, a bit out there, yeah. So currently we have a few other majors. We have, I think, two business majors mm -hmm. and most of them are engineers. But we accept anyone who's willing to work on the cars and put in the work that we need. Interesting, especially since I don't think the the non-engineering majors, they're not required to do this as a no, as a degree is, f a requirement. Nope, this is all on their volunteer free time that they'd like to spend with the team. The team is based in a facility on campus called the Engine Lab at the School of Engineering. How much of the work put into the cars takes place there? Um, I'd say probably about 90 to 95% of the work is all in the Engine Lab. We have three cars, like you said. It's not that big of a space. It's We have to make it work. Um, a lot of the other work would probably be done in the weld shop or the machining shop that we have here, but almost everything is built inside the lab or right outside of it since not everything can be done inside like grinding and welding and things mm -hmm. like that. About 90% of our work, it's all done in-house, so all of our students have the experience and the right tools they need. We try and do our best to supply them with everything necessary. Speaking of tools, what kind of tools are available in the labs? Uh, so we have... You, from wrenches to sockets to angle grinders to welders to lathes to mills. We have an engine dyno in directly inside the lab that we use for testing right now. We use it for the FSA car. They do a bunch of testing on there. We have computers. We have solders. We have um, a flow bench in order to test the heads on the cars. 
I can literally go all day about naming how many tools there are. <laughs> oh, that, that's very cool. So yeah, the team is well equipped. That's of course. Yeah, yeah, we are. We need to be in order to be uh, competitive because we're planning on shooting all the way to the top. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Is any part of the car allowed to be built off-site? Any part of the car is allowed to be built off-site. It's just we students take the initiative to do it ourselves so we get that experience. There are some parts that we do design and send off to, say, a CNCing shop just because we can't get those tolerances and accuracy that we'd like. So I, I know the hubs on Phantom are sent off to a CNC shop just because hand machining, we're not able to do it. But it's been designed by our students and sent over there first. That's all very interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and after building and designing, of course, the testing process, once the parts or the overall car are built, how do you test them? So we do test parts before they put on the car as well. Like I said, we had a flow bench and an engine dyno. So we'll test intake systems on a flow bench, see how much air is going through the restrictor, through the throttle body and the plenum going to the heads of the car. And then we'll throw it on the dyno, see how much power we're actually making. Uh, after that, you know, once we put everything on a car, we take it out to lot 16H here at UCI, usually on Saturday or Sunday, and we'll go about three, four, even five hours of testing in order to make sure everything's fine. Usually ends up in something breaking, but it's better to break here and us see it than break at competition. Indeed. And I think testing here on UCI's property is one of the coolest things about the team is that you rent out a lot you close it down, all the cars are mm -hmm. out of the lot, and you make a temporary race course out of cones. Yeah. I've, I've seen a few myself. It's absolutely amazing to have the cars and, and push them to their limits out on our own property here. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it too. I'm, I'm actually the driver for Jewel, so we were out back on a Sunday testing out the car to see what's going on. Svanta was out the previous day. They made a track, and we got some great data from it. Speaking of, of driving, mm -hmm. who are the drivers for the cars? Drivers for Jewel are myself and Mark McCorkle. So he's the, he's the head engineer. And I also believe Chris Herman will be another driver for us as well. Drivers for Phantom are George Bashara. He's the team lead. Matt McMurray and Matt Clark. And drivers for Baja or Marauder will be Andres Olmedo, will be Michelle Iwajima, and it will be Obed Solis. So those are the three drivers for Baja. Sounds like a good lineup. Yeah, we'll see. We're, we're aiming to do even better this year. So hopefully, you know, the car can do its best, but it's up to the drivers to put it to the test. Mm -hmm. Your lineup is ranging from students who may have never driven race cars before to professional race car drivers like Matt. That's correct. So mm -hmm. we have people like Michelle. I'm pretty sure she's never driven a race car before. Me and Matt Clark have a good experience in racing ourselves. And then there's Matt McMurray, who's a professional race car driver. So... <laughs> There's more to a race team than just designing, building, testing, and of course, driving. What are some of the other important tasks that you and the team take on? Even though I'm a project manager, I am a project manager engineer. So I do have to look over certain things and making sure we're following a set of 600 to 1200 rules, depending on the team. Not only that, we do need funds to make the cars move. And we get that through a lot of our sponsors. We're very thankful for all of our sponsors. This year, I worked with our outreach manager, Zach, Zach Pierce. He helped us get some sponsors from TRD, Toyota Racing Development. We also got sponsorships from tool companies, and we also currently getting sponsorships for our carbon fiber. Our, car, our FSAE car this year will be the first time we're using a full carbon fiber body with wings and aero kit. So we're really excited to show that off. That's incredible. It's mm -hmm. very cool that you guys got the support to do that. Yeah, we couldn't do it without them. The project has spanned the entire school year up to this point. Chronologically, how has the project evolved since week one of fall quarter? back in October through the three quarters so far, almost. 
I could say probably week one, everything was just in words on paper. You know, we were just like, okay, this year, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to make the car lighter, faster, stronger? You know, anything like that. I know all three teams were working their butts off in order to get the cars to where they needed to be. So when they started, uh, I remember in fall quarter, just telling them like, okay, what are, what are the plans this year? So Baja wanted to make a lighter car. They wanted to make a faster car. FSA wanted to have a, a aero package and they also wanted to make a faster car. Jewel wanted to have a technical ready car and make sure they pass technical inspection as they have 1200 rules to follow. Mm. So that was mm. their main point of concern. Um, seeing it evolve by the end of fall quarter, I could say we already had Baja had their chassis completed. Phantom had their entire chassis designed, ready to go and be welded up together. And uh, Jewel already had their chassis from last year. They're running a two year car, but their entire electrical system was being revamped and they had started building their new components for the electrical system. Going off into winter, I'd say the cars were starting to ramp up. That's when we got our generous donation from our sponsors, TRD. We also did a Zot Funder to get our money too. Um, it was very kind of all the families and companies that donated to us. We're very thankful to them. They helped push this project forward in so many ways. They have no idea. Um, we were able to get all the parts necessary by the end of uh, that quarter. By the end of winter quarter, we had three cars on wheels ready to go. So it was really impressive. We've mm -hmm. never done that before. We always set wheels on a car's deadline for the end of winter quarter for design review. And we all three cars are ready to go this year, which is really impressive for us. It's moving forward since I started back when I was a freshman. And I'd say right now how it sits in the middle of spring quarter, we're actually doing really well. Baja's got the competition next week. I know Jewel and Phantom have their competition in about 28 days. So they're doing a bunch of testing, adding on those last minute components, getting ready to go. So I'd say we're in a really good spot this year, and hopefully we're going to take top 10, if not better. That's great to hear, yeah. So I'm hoping to continue following the progress of Anita Racing up through the competitions and mm -hmm. beyond. Looking ahead to those competitions, you have two different ones, Baja and Portland, mm -hmm. and, and then race car and electric car in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. What are each of the tasks that factor into the final result, the overall scoring? Baja's tasks are, they do a business case where they, they have to sell their product, quote unquote, what they're, what they're building. It's a prototype and they have to show why theirs is good and why it's better than the rest. They also have to do certain things such as hill climb, endurance racing, and speed tests. So their tasks are, right now are to be able to, to make the car do all those three things in one package without with doing minimal to no changes to the car. So I'd say... Baja is probably the most fun out of the three cars just because you're allowed to have wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing during endurance. So it's 100 cars going out together. It's awesome to watch. See cars flip over and just keep going. So I love the Baja competition. I love all three competitions. So that's why I became project manager because I wanted to be on all three cars. Nice, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for a electric car, I'd say their tasks is to make sure the electrical system's working and their batteries and their powertrain is ready to go because... <clears throat> they have the same standards or competition as the race car or the FSA car, where it's a skid pad, which is just going in around in a 25 degree radius circle and trying to see how fast you can go. Uh, acceleration, how fast you can go in a straight line for a certain amount of distance. Um, endurance, 13.1 miles you have to complete on your, on your one tank of gas or if you're electric on your one battery charge. And then time attack, which is just like an autocross event set up by the SCCA. And you have, it's just the best of four laps who could put down the fastest time. That's excellent. And my final question for you here today, Vaz, is what are your expectations for the competition? What is a good result for you? So to me, a good result is getting all three cars to their competitions and having them compete. 
we've never had all three cars at the competition. It's either been two cars at competition or one car at competition. I want to see all three of them go. You know, I've been on the team for so long and seeing all the cars change throughout the years, it make me the happiest project manager ever to see all my cars at their comp respective competitions. Whether it be they take, you know, first place or 10th place or any place, I know that we put our blood, sweat and tears into those cars and got them out there. I know the teams are aiming super high this year. I believe in them and they're all looking to place in top 10. So hopefully they do and bring home those nice shiny trophies to UC Irvine. That's excellent. <laughs> Good luck to you and your entire team at Anita Racing in the upcoming competitions. Vaz Frenasian, thank you so much for taking some time to be on Speedway Sounds today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's it for our segment on Anita Racing. We'll continue following them through as the weeks, as the days in the competition get closer and closer. And I'll have a lot of updates for you. So, but for now, we're going to talk about the greatest day in racing coming up on Sunday. This Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, the biggest three races of the year. This Sunday is my favorite race day of the year. Three of the world's biggest motorsports each have a crown jewel event, two of which are here in the United States of America on Memorial Day weekend. 161 miles on the streets of Monaco, 500 miles around the Brickyard, the racing capital of the world, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and 600 miles in the epicenter of American stock car racing in Charlotte. In Monaco, the highly technical open-wheel engineering marvels of Formula One bound together by two continuous barriers of Armco and tires that are no more than two lanes apart, in a tiny kingdom of elegance and luxury. In Indianapolis, the century-old greatest spectacle in racing of IndyCars at their limits of 235 miles per hour threw 1,000 turns in front of 300,000 passionate followers. And as the sun sets in Charlotte, 40 heavy brutes of a race car endure the longest race of their season in varying conditions and ever-present traffic. The first race this Sunday is the 76th Grand Prix of Monaco in the Formula One World Championship. 20 cars will take gr to the grid for 78 laps on the two-mile circuit. One driver who will be returning to the race after a one-year hiatus is two-time winner Fernando Alonso driving for McLaren-Renault. Even though the McLaren has performed in the middle of the pack so far this season, he believes he has a shot at a great result. He told Autosport, Monaco is one of those tracks that tends to level the playing field a little, and it's a bit like rolling the dice. While the track does not require an exceptional level of horsepower or aerodynamic downforce, outright lap time will still be critical for Saturday's qualifying. Passing is extremely difficult, so starting up front will go a long way in battling for the win. Qualifying up front shouldn't be too hard for the Ferrari and Mercedes AMG teams. Together they secured four of the last five pole positions. Last year, Kimi Raikkonen barely beat Sebastian Vettel for pole, but together locked out the front row for Ferrari. And if it hadn't been for a late crash in the second qualifying session, the second row would have been locked out by Mercedes with Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. With the championship battle between the two teams as tight as ever, only 27 points in the constructors, it will be critical to start in the top four. The difference between first and second is not quite as important as the difference between first and 15th. If any of those four start worse than sixth, their chances of winning are practically zero. Unless we see a crazy race like in 1996, when Olivier Panis won from 14th with only three cars still running in the rain, I'm expecting the front two rows to produce the winner. One team that always plays spoiler to Ferrari and Mercedes is Aston Martin Red Bull Racing, with drivers Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen. Ricciardo is still eager to avenge his defeat in 2016. That year, he had started on pole and led the early part of the race until his team didn't execute a pit stop correctly, costing him the lead to Lewis Hamilton. The team finished third and fifth last year and already have one win with Ricciardo this season in China. 
Toto Wolff, team boss of Mercedes, told the BBC, Red Bull are strong in slow corners and where straight line speed is less important. Wolf also warns that success is not guaranteed for Mercedes. Last year it became a weekend of damage limitation, he says, when we didn't find the right setup. It was a painful lesson from us. We are determined to show that we have learned it this year. Looking farther down the grid, two drivers call Monaco home, Brendan Hartley and Charles Leclerc. This will be Hartley's first Formula One race at Monaco, having spent the last several years of his career in the World Endurance Championship. Prior to that endurance career, he competed in the World Series by Renault. He'll be racing with Scuderia Toro Rosso alongside Pierre Gasly. Charles Leclerc will also be taking part in his first home F1 Grand Prix. Leclerc was born in Monaco and is the current, form, the current Formula 2 champion. He races for Alfa Romeo Sauber. The weekend will kick off on Thursday with free practices 1 and 2, followed by the traditional Friday day off. Free practice 3 and qualifying will take place on Saturday, with the race beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific time. It will air on ESPN, with an encore on ABC after the Indy 500. That brings us to the second big race of the day, the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Here's the latest from Indy. Two days of qualifying took place over the weekend. Saturday was bump day, and with 35 entries for 33 spots, two teams would be heading home by the time the gun was fired at 5.50 p.m. local time. Each car was guaranteed one run. The biggest drama of the day started hours before its climax, with two track closures due to rain showers. Instead of every car having breathing room to make a second attempt, most cars only got one shot to set a time, leaving only around an hour for additional attempts to be made. At the conclusion of the first 35 runs, Connor Daly and Oriol Servia were on the bubble. Both miraculously were able to bump themselves back in with faster runs. James Davison also withdrew his time and went back out to set an even faster lap time, giving him more insurance. With 20 minutes remaining, the two drivers out were now Pippa Mann, one of two women entered in the 500, and IndyCar's second most popular driver and 2016 Indy 500 pole sitter James Hinchcliffe. Hinchcliffe had a poor first run because he was the first car on track after a rain delay but mostly everyone expected him to bump his way back in on his second. However, when he went back out on track with 20 minutes remaining, he reported an extreme vibration and had to wave off his run so the team could fix it. Meanwhile, other cars went out on track to make additional runs, and Pippa Mann was in front of Hinchcliffe in line. When the gun went off, Pippa was on her third run, preventing Hinchcliffe from getting out on track at all. Mann was not fast enough, so both her number 63 entry and Hinchcliffe's number 5 failed to qualify for the Indy 500. This was a massive shock for everyone present and following around the world because James Hinchcliffe is one of IndyCar's most important personalities and his team is a full season team running for the championship. He was fifth in the season standings, but now he will not have an opportunity to, to claim any of the points in the double points awarding Indy 500. On Sunday, each of the 33 qualified entries made one more run to set positions 10 through 33 first and then the top nine based on the fast nine from Saturday. Tony Kanaan, Mateus Leist, and Marco Andretti were the best cars of the 10-33 session. They will claim row four on the grid. And in the Fast 9 shootout, Ed Carpenter won the pole with an average speed of 229.618 miles per hour. Simon Paginot will start second, Will Power third, Joseph Newgarden fourth, Sebastian Bourdais fifth, Spencer Pigot sixth, Danica Patrick in her final ever IndyCar race in seventh, Elio Castroneves in eighth, and Scott Dixon in ninth. Capping off the greatest day in racing is NASCAR's super endurance event, the Coca-Cola 600-mile race. Before I mention that, the Indy 500 will air on ABC at 9 a.m. Pacific. 
Back to the Coca-Cola 600, this race is one of the longest single driver events in the world, taking at least 3 hours and 44 minutes to finish. This puts an immense wear on engines and chassis parts. And since the race starts in the afternoon and ends under the lights, crew chiefs will be making adjustments as the track cools off. In addition, there are some rules changes ahead of the round 13 in this year's Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. First, NASCAR reversed its rule that forced teams to start on the tires that they qualify on. They were initially hoping that the cars in the back, who typically ran fewer laps, would have the benefit of starting on fresher tires compared to the cars starting up front. However, NASCAR later figured out that teams might be manipulating the inspection process in order to avoid qualifying and start the race on new tires. Additionally, teams are no longer allowed to bring whatever tools they want over the wall. Only traditionally battery-powered equipment can be used to repair a vehicle. The driver to beat this weekend in Charlotte is Kevin Harvick, the 2014 champion of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series and two-time winner of the 600. He is on the hottest streak of his career with five wins in the first 12 points races, plus last week's all-star race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, in which he led 36 out of 93 laps. Three of those five wins were at one-and-a-half-mile tracks, exactly like Charlotte. He and the rest of his Stuart Haas Ford team, comprised by Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, and Eric Almirola, also have a great shot this weekend. And as always, the winner of the 600 will qualify for the playoffs if he has not already done so. The race once again this year will be split into four stages rather than the usual three in a cup race, with a green checkered flag displayed at laps 100, 200, and 300. And as always, the winner of each of the stages will receive one playoff point and 10 regular season points all the way down to 10th, receiving an additional point. Both on and off the track this weekend, NASCAR will be celebrating Memorial Day with its NASCAR Salutes campaign. Each car will carry the name of an American soldier lost in battle on its windshield. NASCAR will host 5,000 active military members, and Charlotte Motor Speedway will continue its annual pre-race tradition of saluting the troops with, with performances on the front straightaway. Fox Sports will also air a tribute to service members who have fallen in the past year, as will Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Several race cars will carry patriotic theme paint schemes, including Kyle Busch and sponsor M&M's. That's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Thanks again to Vaz Farnesian of Anteater Racing for joining me on the show today. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Speedway Sounds, all one word. Always wear your helmet and never ever drive distracted or under the influence, and please always wear your seatbelt. I'm your host, Noah Stein, and you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up next is Kevin Bossmeyer subbing for DJ Uni with an encore episode of UCI Conversations. Enjoy the greatest weekend in racing. <laughs>